0: So, good afternoon, everyone. Um, welcome to the ninth episode of the Genomics Culture. Uh, this is where we talk to experts in different fields um, in genomics uh, and in allied subjects to be able to build the trust that is required between clinicians, geneticists, uh, genetic counselors, and the community in general. Today, we are excited that we have someone so eminent like Dr. Sonia Rani, who is uh, one of uh, Hyderabad's best um, obstetrician and gynecologist but also is a specialist in
1: fetal medicine. So I am very very excited to have you here. Welcome Dr. Solia. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Namaste. I am um, very much uh, uh, happy that I am here in uh, Map my, my Genome uh, Institute today. Um, recently many genetic institutes have come up uh, but with the genomics as a background, genetics as a vast subject it is uh, very essential that we need to have some idea about what genetics is and how it is applicable in our current uh, scenario so we see many abnormal babies we see many couples uh, striving a lot to have a normal baby in spite of many pregnancies so uh, here it comes wherein the knowledge of genetics is essential so very nice of you that you are arranging this introductory events with the, some of the genetic specialists and I hope you will have uh, many such uh, events in the future. Thank you Dr. Sonia. Um,
0: so before we get on to the you know genomics and genetics and all, um, what inspired or who inspired you to become a, a medical doctor and then why
1: fetal medicine? Can you help us go through your journey a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So um, I I am in a family of four sisters and uh, most of our family members and sisters are all farmers. So we hail from a village family. Uh, My father was a doctor who uh, did his uh, masters and BBS and all in uh, uh, Visar Patnam, King George Hospital. And uh, since childhood I was there uh, with him after school. I was there, I used to spend most of the time in the hospitals i used to see the suffering of the patients and uh, uh, some patients who are very much satisfied after the treatment uh, the immense uh, uh, satisfaction which a consultant or a clinician gets after a patient is cured of his disease this might be the most motivating factor for me uh, to become a doctor uh, though many people told me uh, if you take the engineering stream you would settle soon uh, you would have an early settlement you would uh, financially also you would be better in spite of four girls in our family, eldest one, uh, this inspired mainly me to become a doctor. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: So you've also done a lot of like you did your MBBS, then you did a postgraduate, and then you have a whole series of diplomas in, from London, from Germany, and others. Um, one thing that really struck me was you had a diploma in art and the reproductive uh, uh, medicine. medicine. Yes. So what exactly
1: does that mean? Is, does it mean reproductive medicine is an art or what exactly and is Actually, that? Uh, yes, that is a diploma in ART and uh, uh, reproductive medicine. It is not art, it is ART, artificial reproductive techniques. Okay. <laughs> not, not art and science, <laughs> okay. yeah. Not art as such. It is artificial reproductive techniques. So every now and then, uh, other than uh, my basic um, MBS education, I went into my obstetrics and gynecology stream. And uh, I used to deal mainly with high risk obstetrics along with the basic obstetrics and gynecology. So, uh, in further advancement in this field, uh, there are many other subspecialties like it's not subspecialty, it would be super specialty like laparoscopy and gynecology and obstetrics and dealing with high risk pregnancy care, dealing with the fetus as a patient, that is fetal medicine, dealing with genetic aspects of. Uh, parents and the fetus that is again uh, a genetic specialty and uh, further advancement would be uh, reproductive techniques previously we used to know only about IVF, ICSI pregnancies now there is something some genetic aspect in reproductive techniques also that is uh, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis of a particular known disease or pre-implantation genetic screening So even in uh, reproductive techniques also we have the genetic aspects. So uh, from the basics to advanced uh, gynecology and obstetrics, we can say that these uh, super specialities are still having their uh, good role. So from basics to advanced... So I'll
0: get back to the art, right? So do you think it is all science? Or do you think that uh, talking to um, to patients also needs a little bit of... uh,
1: an understanding or an art in some form. Yes, that is very much needed. Very much needed. It's not like uh, we apply whatever we study in our clinics. Um, The interaction with the patient is very much essential. How we uh, receive them, how do we listen to their problems, and how do we go about dealing with their problems, and what uh, best we can give out to them for their uh, problems. That would be uh, what is much expected of them. So that is very important, what they feel, patient counselling, making them understand what the problem is, what are the solutions, what we can do, what cannot be done, so uh, whatever, uh, what are the financial aspects of it. So these are the important things which, uh, whether they can be done or not and we should discuss with the patients first. So then we, we get their consent and their willingness, that is how we can help the patients. So you lay out all the options for them? Yes, yes. Then. We give all the basket of options to them and patient, it's finally their call to decide. What okay. the Yes, yes. So I, I you
0: know, saw a video of yours which basically talked about, uh, you know, getting to more normal deliveries. Now uh, In a time when um, I think a lot more uh, cesarean deliveries are, are going on, why do you
1: strive to do that? Yeah, this is a good question. So basically, we come from uh, a normal deliveries. Previously, they were all normal deliveries and uh, caesareans were very less few decades back. Now, uh, caesareans are uh, high and in Telangana, it seems uh, we are doing the highest number of caesareans here. Recently, the government has also been uh, issuing notices uh, to most of the obstetricians and gynecologists. Uh, Going way back to our decades, few years back, it is essential that uh, we need to do normal deliveries again, we are doing but still uh, most of the gynecologists should be motivated to have some patience to treat even the patients are nowadays not uh, so much motivational towards having normal delivery. This uh, motivation for normal delivery doesn't start at the time of delivery, it starts from the beginning of pregnancy, confirmation of pregnancy onwards. So that is how throughout the nine months we tell them what things to be done, what not to be done. Encourage them more towards a normal delivery Uh, and uh, we should stop the pampering from their parents. So the pain tolerance, different kinds of exercises which they should do and different kinds of the food which we get now and the food few decades back is also different. So certain food restrictions also should be there and the prenatal yoga, Mm -hmm. motivation from birth assistance that is also important the prenatal yoga will help much so these are the important things it's an uh, all round uh, environment that should be favorable for the women to have a normal delivery mm-hmm. family members support the institutional support from the hospital uh, consultant and the staff is also very much essential not just the clinician uh, motivating the patient it's an all round wholesome support i feel yeah, the family and everybody is, else should that be. is very very important so um, I think uh, when
0: when they come to see a doctor like you do, people come to you. I mean, do large majority. I can't say. I'm sure there is no generalization, but do a large majority of you come to you six months before they plan on a baby, or do they come after they've had a, you know, after they've conceived, or when do people come? When do come people come to a fetal medicine uh, specialist? Maybe if you can help us uh,
1: understand a little bit of. So, this varies in different uh, parts of the country. In rural areas, the uh, awareness is less. So, they don't see the consultant until they are three months of their pregnancy. Whereas in urban areas, cities like uh, this high metropolitan cities, they do come for a preconception counseling that starts three to six months before planning pregnancy. Most of the couple come six months ahead for uh, before planning pregnancy wherein we advise them certain important blood tests. We assess their medical conditions, previous surgical conditions, personal history and any family history of any genetic problems. So this uh, six months of uh, period, it will give us some advantage to diagnose and uh, see her preparedness for a pregnancy to bring out a healthy mother and baby. So in rural areas, that is not the case. Mm. Even past 12 weeks of pregnancy, 14 weeks of pregnancy, they don't uh, come to the clinician because it is the taboo in their uh, house that until three months, you, you should not go to the doctor. So what the elders say that is the same is being followed. Mm. So that is the difference in cities and uh, rural areas. So
0: do you think that uh, you know if money was in the constraint, um, do you, would you uh, think that doing a carrier uh, screening, um, you know, a genetic carrier screening, is something that, parent, uh, that uh, parents, that to be parents, should be doing uh, in terms of understanding their, um, you know, what kind of um, potential mutations they have? Is that something yes. that is uh, one, whether you advise it, and two, whether patients like it? You know, that is both of them are the both of them are, are
1: potential mm-hmm. places where. Yes, yes. So, uh, here, yeah, financial constraint is one of the important things. And uh, first of all, the patient should understand whether it uh, helps them or not. If there is any family history, again, of any genetic disorders, even before they plan for uh, uh, marriage, that is pre nuptial counseling, we say. Mm-hmm. Here uh, comes, especially in consanguineous couples, there is definite role of uh, gen- genomic mm-hmm. testing, gene sequencing. Which helps in preventing many abnormal babies. All recessive genes uh, accumulating mm-hmm. in one uh, gen- generation, and that is expressing as the uh, next mm-hmm. generation. So, uh, this is this comes as premarital counseling also. So here comes the importance of genetic counseling definitely, and genomic sequencing especially helps there. So I remember in, there is an app
0: that had come up in the U.S. I don't know whether you've you've come across that or not, but. Uh, basically, it was to look at the carrier screening for uh, potential parents to be, and uh, it was more for dating. So now uh-huh, I mean uh-huh. I So that is all selective things. So basically, selective. you select that you know, if you if you upload your all these carrier status. If there is a potential uh, yes, yes. possibility, yeah. then you d-
1: decide not to
0: not to go yes, ahead yes. with that
1: because in those countries they know their uh, genetic status already. Mm-hmm certain genes like cystic hybroma genes and uh, uh, certain important major recessive genes which they have already known already from learned. their uh, parents or diagnosis at birth. This would definitely help and uh, the patient knows their genomic map actually. They know their genetic uh, uh, disorders prior to their uh, planning for pregnancy or prior to their planning for marriage. So two couples having the in a couple if both they have the same disorder okay. better they can avoid that so yes that helps very much I don't think in India <laughs> you we know, are
0: seeing a lot yes. I mean some people are coming to us we have a product called match my genome well, yes, match yes.
1: them yes that will help a lot actually
0: the concept of doing a genome patri we said you don't match your genome patri <laughs> you match your genome patri right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, so that is what we were thinking but it's it's slowly starting to in- increase but okay. uh, I think we need a lot more awareness. Awareness, on, yes. On awareness diabetes. is
1: very much
0: essential. So one of the other things that we often see, uh, both in terms of understanding genetic risk and others, is uh, PCOS and that's fairly common uh, amongst women. So do you think that that's something that affects uh, their possibilities of getting pregnant or how
1: I mean, is there any correlation
0: that, that is there? Or PCOS
1: definitely affects fertility mm-hmm. especially. So PCOS is polycystic ovaries is not a single gene uh, uh, etiology, it is multi-genic and it is multifactorial. So environmental factors also do have effect on the uh, kind of PCOS or the age at onset of the polycystic ovaries. So when, when it comes to the fertility aspects, it is much affected. We have seen an adolescent girls with PCOS and also 40-50 uh, year old with polycystic ovaries. Wow. Yes, So um, adolescent girls do express it very soon because of irregular cycles, menstrual uh, disturbances, uh, prolonged periods of uh, amenorrhea. Um, so if we uh, modify their lifestyle at that earlier stage, that would help them a lot in preventing the future uh, fertility related issues and later on it is a metabolic syndrome which is very dreaded situation next after fertility so polycystic ovaries causes uh, fertility issues, ovulation problems and lack of uh, good quality eggs hence ovulation problems and miscarriages also and uh, gestational diabetes and later on uh, metabolic syndrome where di- diabetes, hypertension and stroke and later endometrial cancers also can occur in women with polycystic ovaries So, the modifiable risk factors like lifestyle changes can be done at least, Mm -hmm. if not the genetic factors which cannot be modified, at least the environmental factors like lifestyle modification can be done to um, overcome certain uh, problems, that would definitely help. So, the sooner they find out, yes, yes, yes. and it is almost 13 13 to 20% uh, of uh, women we see with polycystic ovaries. That's so, a lot of... Uh, and every 10 women who walk into the clinics, nine, 8 to 9 of them are having polycystic ovaries and its related issues.
0: So that's a significant number. Yes, yes. And maybe we should create awareness in schools then because yes, that's yes. the time when... Maybe if you have to do it earlier,
1: then we we'll be doing that. Yes, yes, uh, some yes, sort so of screening so right. up... Up ahead it's very of, important. Just like anemia screening, we may have to have polycystic ovary screening also. I, I
0: didn't realize it was that high. I knew it, was it, it high has it become
1: to. an epidemic kind of now.
0: So, the, um, when did you first start using genetic tests? And, and I, I guess you know there are many types of genetic tests, right? So there's you know, you obviously have those double marker, quadruple, yes, double
1: triple and quadruple markers. Right. Uh, right from my practice onwards, I did my. Uh, MBAs in Osmania and uh, post-graduation was from Kakati Medical College, that is a government hospital in Varangal. Mm -hmm. So there the private clinicians used to do, in government setup it was not possible to do the double marker test. So it was only the ultrasound which was available then, way back 12 years. Uh, Then since then it's been 12 years that we have been uh, seeing and using double markers and triple markers. Triple marker is outdated now. Uh, where in first trimester we do the double marker test and in second trimester we do the quadruple marker screening. Mm. Now here in uh, Hyderabad we do first trimester quad test where we have advanced assessment of uh, pre-eclampsia screening and uh, prognosticating uh, fetal growth problems and uh, fetal uh, preterm deliveries. Mm. These are the issues which can diagnose as early as 12 weeks. And we can have risk modification with echo spring
0: also. Okay. So, so basically the sooner you do these uh, um, these tests, one you can understand some of them which are genetic risk but also other yes, risks. Yes,
1: genetic factors and also uh, uh, placental issues also we can modify. Can modify. Uh, yes, certain things can be modified.
0: I think that's the key part and I think if people realize that these are all things that are actionable in some sense then yes. yes. Able to
1: there be. are still some people who do not advise double market test. Uh, don't advise a nuclear transfer scan even now. Uh, still, awareness, lot of awareness is needed. So, I, I, I guess you know that's something
0: that hopefully will build over a period of time. Yes, yes. so, so, how how important do you think is genetic counseling? Well, clearly, you lay out the options for patients as well. But in terms of just helping them understand recessive or or you know different kinds of um, you know understanding why why this happens, do you yes. think that Genetic counselling is a key element in terms of differentiating different, how to
1: different problems are baby. Yeah, genetic counselling is very important, mm-hmm. uh, especially when coming to different genetic disorders which are very common and uh, those rare disorders, we do try to counsel them by doing the genome sequencing and all those things and uh, double starting from double marker test onwards which starts at 12 weeks onwards. They itself we start counselling them about different chromosomal problems. First of all, they are not aware of what chromosomes is, so we start telling them, putting them on a paper, this is having a 23 pairs of chromosomes, so there can some structural problems can happen, so mismatch, some genetic material can be missing, so we try to explain them in their own language, so that they can understand and uh, they can tell their friends also. So someone will be telling me, I had an enducal transfer, NT scan, I had a double marker test, did you have the same? So that is how educating a patient will help herself and her friends and her family members also. Regarding genetics, it was not that, uh, uh, that awareness was not there previously, but I think most of the people are aware now. So, definitely. You, are, you are in
0: Kodapur, so I'm assuming a lot of the
1: people who come are from the IT industry as yes, well. So. Yes. But still, there are people about IT also who are not aware of it. Uh, Yeah, to how it comes, we do explain the things.
0: So one more thing you had mentioned uh, during your initial introduction that you use laparoscopic uh, Mm -hmm. techniques. Yes, in all So uh, Mm -hmm. maybe you can help understand what exactly is
1: a laparoscopic technique and how does it help? Laparoscopy is a minimally invasive surgical technique. Most of us are aware of caesarean sections wherein we give over 15, 10 to 15 centimeters of incision over the abdomen. And uh, in laparoscopy, it is uh, no uh, scar kind of technique wherein uh, the size of the incision is less than 1 centimeter. It is 5 mm, 7 mm incisions wherein there is no stitch, even stitch is also not applied. We usually use this in uh, gynec uh, setup, mostly for gynec surgeries. Where uh, ovariances, polycystic ovaries, to diagnose any fertility related issues and any emergencies in gynec, especially tubal pregnancies like ectopics, wherein there is rupture of the tube, pregnancies in unwanted location, so to diagnose any abdominal pathology. So this is all a minimally invasive technique. We have been using it since many years, it's been more than two decades that we are using. Mm. But it has been more used nowadays. And there are advanced technologies with this also. In obstetrics, we do use laparoscopy if there is any obstetric emergency like ovarian torsion or any abdominal pathology only during the second trimester of pregnancy. So that is when we use. And we do use uh, laparoscopy for abdominal circlage wherein the women have repeated miscarriages and uh, cervical circlage is not beneficial to her. So, we apply an abdominal surplus through a laparoscopic technique, so that is how.
0: Can, I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of difficult cases, right, but um, can you talk about any case uh, where you use genetics uh, and it was a challenging case uh, that, to begin with?
1: Yeah, a yeah. Uh, couple of cases are there where uh, we see abnormal babies, especially the fetal Mm-hmm. Wherein the body uh, of the baby accumulates lots of uh, fluid, and all the tests have come out to be normal. Mm-hmm. The immune and non-immune uh, etiologies have been ruled out. Still, the couple experiencing repeated uh, losses, uh, losses, losses of the babies. So, I have sent uh, for the entire genome uh, sequencing. Also, even the sequencing has come out to be normal, and it has brought out uh, many variants of unknown significance. Also, yeah. so. Uh, but uh, i could manage one couple with uh, high drops of uh, unknown etiology wherein she has some autoimmune pathology by giving some immunosuppressants and uh, finally they have a baby now so uh, we don't know the etiology but still they have got a third baby after having two wishes so so this uh,
0: doctor was just mentioning the ones the uh, variants of unknown significance are the ones where We find a mutation, but we have not yet necessarily found it. We don't know the clinical
1: significance of it, what phenotype does it Mm -hmm. cause, but many unknown significant variants can be seen in genomic testing. And and the ones that are
0: more clear um, cause of a a problem, we call those Mm -hmm. as the pathogenic. Yes,
1: yes, pathogenic variants.
0: I think that's, uh, hopefully in the next few years, I think many of the variants of unknown significance will be Classified as 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 a
1: clear some study basis. has to be done on them. their clinical significance has to be known.
0: Um, so, um, you know, when you look at you know people with high risk pregnancy or you know or let's say somebody about the age of 30, 35, they first do some sort of screening mechanism. That like you do a double marker, a quadruple marker, you do some scans, um, and how do you conf- you confirm these with with some tests as well? like an amniocentesis or, or something. Yes. So is, is that the right order in which I am explaining or is there, yeah, is there usually
1: a flow or is it, it depends. Yeah, so uh, when coming to the blood investigations to uh, screen and diagnose the genetic issues, mm-hmm. mostly we start with double marker screen, then we do first time required screen. Either of this, patients can opt either of this. If the double marker screen comes has to be positive and uh, there is we do an early TFA scan so that will be scheduled at 16 to 17 weeks. If not if we can do a chorionic villus biopsy also if there is any early structural deformity that has been identified this can be done at 12 weeks if not if the baby is structurally normal we go with an early TFA scan that is done at 16 to 17 weeks and at 17 weeks we can uh, take a decision to do amniocentesis if there is any structural problem in the baby. The structural problem as per the system wise, we advise for other karyotyping and uh, fish if we want to know only the basic three chromosomal problems that in 13, 18 and 21. If there is any pertaining structural problem, then we may advise for chromosomal microarray Mm -hmm. uh, to detect uh, the The deletions and duplications. And uh, if there is a panel of... uh, Particular system, if there is a skeletal uh, problem, if there is a cardiac system involvement, neurological system is difficult to diagnose at that particular age. If there is renal system involvement, a panel of genes can be advised. Or if we know a target gene, if a previous sibling is affected Mm -hmm. and that uh, target gene is known to us, it would be uh, a target genes based synthesis test. Yes. So this is how it goes. Uh, if the double marker screen is missed by chance then we advise for quadruple marker screening which can be done from 15 to 22 weeks of age this is how even non-invasive prenatal test is also there which is uh, very much used nowadays in women more than 35 years of age certain high of pregnancies wherein the fetal component of the maternal blood should be at least 4% it is a non-invasive test, we don't need to go near the baby, but it is still a screening test with so yeah. 99% accuracy. It is very much near to mm-hmm. amniocentesis, but still we say it is a screening test because false positives also can be there. Nothing is 100% uh, sure. No, no, but there. that's true of most things in yes, life, right, yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> 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 none so. is 100%. Sure. So, amniocentesis is an invasive procedure, so we need to counsel the patient. We need to take their consent. We need to explain the uh, problems that may be there with amniocentesis, the advantages with amniocentesis, and then go ahead with the procedure.
0: So, so I think you know someone needing to see the workflow of uh, you know events. Events.
1: It's a lot of things. I think yes. you have to take care of the, your patients in quite a lot of uh, yes. detail. make them. Go through all this terminology, we explain all the things. After that, only we uh, give them the choice. Like it's their call. Whatever they opt, they'll get it done. Yes.
0: And uh, do you see uh, that there is... Uh, how do you identify pre-eclampsia risk in, in women as well?
1: And Which one, which one of these many tests that you mentioned? So pre risk can be identified as early as 12 weeks in the nuclear Translucency Scan, Under the done. nuclear Translucency Scan is done. Uh, in the ultrasound, we check for the Uterine Artery Dopplers, Wherein the mean Doppler is this particular number for the mean of the Uterine Artery pulsatility uh, Index. So, it, if it crosses that particular number, we usually uh, wait for the Double Marker Report. In Double Marker Report, it is the Beta-HCG and uh, so, pregnancy associated uh, placental protein. So, this is one important marker which uh, tells about the risk of preeclampsia and also fetal growth, and sub- mm-hmm. subsequently, there will be fetal growth issues also. Uh, PAPE should not be less than 0.5 moms mm-hmm. as per a standard uh, analyzer. analyzer, as per a standard gene analyzer. So, if the PAPE is less than 0.5 moms and the uterine artery pulsatility index is more than 1.2 mean pulse tendinics. These are the standard cutoffs which we as obstetricians, usually use. Then we uh, advise the couple of the risks of having a preeclampsia that is a pregnancy and high blood pressure related problems and uh, uh, placental problems especially and placental perfusion problems. So uh, subsequent uh, fetal growth related issues and uh, low birth weight babies and low amniotic fluid babies. So these are the uh, subsequent uh, uh, things which we can predict as early as 12 weeks this might happen after 28th week but we can predict as early as 12th week and uh, supplementing the women with Echosporin which is a very mm-hmm. wonder drug to say for us uh, as, as obstetricians or 150 mg of Echosporin daily you know, given uh, once a day till 36 weeks at least mm-hmm. might help uh, to avoid certain problems to some extent it is not it completely blocks the scene but so it does, it's, it's not much. a game changer, but still it helps. We have seen many pregnancies going into that poorer uh, prognosis of the baby. Many many babies we have seen, mm-hmm. which have done very well with echospirin alone. So that is, echosporin is still very cost effective, doesn't cost much. Mm-hmm. So very early intervention which helps uh, in bringing out a good baby.
0: So, so I'm sure that you know lots. Some, you must you come across so many different difficult, challenging problems. But in the end of the day, I think you know, having a, a given birth to a baby, for help help
1: couples have a baby, I think there can't be anything more exciting. No, than yes, that. yes, yes, yes. After all these things, after this nine months, see, first of all, uh, they come to us whether we can uh, whether we are prepared for the pregnancy or not, doctor. We don't know. Please help us. They start with that six months prior to planning pregnancy so they start from there then throughout the nine months each and every day is a challenging task for them not every couple will be as easy as we see Uh, there are couples who face each day as a challenge every day will be a challenge for them so six months prior to planning pregnancy nine months of uh, entire duration of pregnancy during delivery and uh, parenting so this is how uh, complete parenting goes um, yeah, definitely.
0: So are, are there any, moves, I think in movies they mostly show just people having morning sickness and that's that's pregnancy, right? I think maybe we sh- there should be more movies which can educate us on, you know, actually having understanding, you know, what what goes on actually with the law. Not everybody has just, you know, some people don't even have morning sickness, but some people have this thing and then many people have a much more difficult time than yes. others. yes.
1: So, morning sickness can lead to hyperemesis, excess vomiting. There are people who have admitted in ICUs with excess vomiting and all. Uh, Every pregnant lady can make a biopic of hers during her pregnancy (laughs) and then she can use it. So, uh, use it to train others or maybe to help others. So, because each pregnancy is different. Even a single mom having two different pregnancies, she might have two different experiences. Yeah, that's how...
0: So uh, I think that brings me to uh, I won't ask you any more difficult medical questions now <laughs> I can come to the more fun and the light part of, of our conversation I think you know one it has been absolutely incredibly helpful I think a lot of people who will be watching this will be uh, uh, you know people who are looking at maybe having a baby or or otherwise I think yeah. that really helps them in, in understanding that better but um, you know in while you're doing so many different things um, let's start off with do you have a hobby?
1: Yeah, I have a hobby. So, I was into sports mostly in childhood. Uh, I was an athlete. You know, so, I used to do 10 different <laughs> sports. So, now I with different degrees to say, not in sports now. So, now mostly my hobby is just to find some peaceful time and uh, just uh, to sit in some peaceful place with greenery. That is just uh, the, the best hobby I think I should say you know, in the city in this busy life and all so we like don't to do uh, uh, yes, yes we don't find such a place at home I do lots of gardening so garden inside my home also I have lots of uh, green tree green, green small plants and, and all. you cook
0: so you cook food from yeah, so nature
1: I'm not a good uh, no I told you,
0: you you Plant your trees and uh, most them. of
1: this, uh, most of this are just uh, uh, interiors, okay. interior plants okay. like that. So uh, morning when I get up, I love to see the greenery and all, and I feel happy. I just uh, grow them as some uh, living beings only. That is how. Yeah. That is great. And do you have a favorite book or a movie? Yeah, movies are there. Not the current movies. Okay. Most of the time, I go for the western movies. Yeah, so in that uh, in, the, in, in the pursuit of happiness uh, That is the one uh, One of the movies which I can say So there is a constant effort To do something So I usually uh, Have that constant uh, Efforts towards whatever I want to Achieve So that drives me already I don't need somebody else to push me to something So my brain tells me What to do, that's it So it's my inherent gut feeling that I have that
0: and is there a favourite city or town that since you said you like to go to a quiet green place I Yes, yes obviously,
1: it's a less polluted country with much of greenery where we have very few countries like that Poland, Germany, Italy, so UK <laughs> I didn't cross India till now I don't have plans to cross also but I prefer India to become like that less polluted, more greener more environmental friendly, so each of us should have that awareness to save the planet. To find land source. Yes, yes. Finally, we should save our planet. yes Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, government is also striving a lot uh, to have more, lots of greenery. That's, that's fantastic. So
0: is there anything else, last words of advice for uh, either young students who are getting into becoming a fetal medicine
1: specialist yeah. or a geneticist or anything that you would like to share? With? Yeah, definitely. So obstetrics and gynecology is not a dead end. So you have further super specialities also. Where uh, you can have your basic uh, obstetric practice but still you need to be more advanced in your uh, further super specialities that is what I say if you choose a fetal medicine, you should be more uh, specific in that how you are able to choose that speciality why did you choose what uh, advantages do you have in choosing that how good you are how effective you are in that Uh, and always choose what your uh, passion says it's not like somebody else should come and say you choose what, we usually should choose what we need, that's it. I enjoy my fetal medicine specialty. Every time I see a baby, I, I, I feel very happy. That I think that's what drives me to do more of uh, uh, studies in that, uh, to continue the spe- in the same specialty. So you still are taking more courses? or uh, <laughs> I, no. Advances, so yeah, we have to be updated, right? Okay. We go for further conferences and all. So every time I see a baby, it gives me immense happiness. That's Along with the parents, that's what drives me so much. Yeah. A, thank thank you so very much. Um,
0: it has been an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here, and uh, I hope that you continuing in your pursuit of making healthier babies for this uh, country and planet. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Nice talking nice. to you.